Amen. Thank you, guys. That was fantastic, and thank you for being here. We have had quite the journey this year in 1 John. Take your Bibles, and for the 19th and final time, I'll say, turn to 1 John chapter 5, Blessed Assurance. We've talked about light and love and life with Christ, and today we're going to end it, and it's a pretty challenging ending, just to be honest. It's one of those passages of Scripture that's been tossed around and debated and looked at, but sometimes we can strain out gnats and swallow camels. So I'll go through some of the more popular interpretations of the challenging part, but we'll keep the main thing the main thing and focus on what John is trying to say to us as he draws this letter to a close. Remember why he's writing. Say this with me. You ready? We're going to have it memorized today. 1 John 5, 13. Let's go. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. All right. Now, last week we bobbled a little, didn't we? First service. Come on now. Don't let that second service outshine you today. Let's get it. A lot of blanks. Here we go. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, there you go. Now you're in the A, A minus category. Okay, pretty good, pretty good. All right, I want you to really know that because John says you don't have to think so or hope so. You can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life and life in the Son of God. Last week, we were making declarations, assurances. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe God has given me eternal life through his Son, and I believe God wants me to have assurance of my salvation. Well, today... I want to end where John ends, of course, in having courage, having confidence in Christ. You've got to have confidence. When you pray, when you go before God, when you walk this walk of life as a child of the King, you need confidence or else those watching us, those paying attention saying, what are those Christians up to? will say, well, if they don't even believe, if they're not even sure, if they're sort of hesitant in the faith, how in the world could I ever be sure? They need to know that we know. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. We conclude the book picking up with verse 14, 1 John 5, 14. John writes, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. Now, this is the part that gets a little upside down for most folks. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there's a sin not leading to death. We probably ought to unpack that, shouldn't we? We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. And we know that we are of God. There's that assurance language again. We know it, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. 
And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible ending. As John is bringing this little letter to a close, he's saying, have full assurance. When you ask, know that your Father hears. And as long as it's in accordance with his heart, know that he'll answer positively. And also he would tell us that there's a sin leading to death. What is that, Lord? I pray that you would now enlighten us by your Spirit. And then John comes to this conclusion again to remind us of our confidence in Christ, our blessed assurance. And he concludes by saying, make sure God is first, no idols. And so that's our heart's desire, to learn and grow in your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So let's talk about confidence in Christ and what are we learning. Let me give you three things here. First, we can have confidence when we pray from the heart of God. Now, that may be a phrase that you're not too familiar with. Honestly, I was not familiar with it until 2000. In 2000, earlier in my ministry, I'd only been in full-time ministry a little better than a year, and Henry Blackaby, many, many of you know Dr. Blackaby, yes, from Experiencing God. I got the opportunity to go hear Dr. Blackaby in person, and he was leading a prayer conference, and I kept, he kept saying, learn to pray from the heart of God, from the heart of God, and I thought, what does he mean? But over the course of a few days, and Dr. Blackaby giving us, as he always did, brilliant uh, exposition and explanation, he explained to us that what we have to do is learn to align our heart with God's heart. Notice I didn't say align God's heart with my heart. I got to align my heart with God's heart. And so I begin to think not so much what does Bobby want, what does my father want, and I'm going to be praying from his heart. And surely in an hour like this, in the condition of our nation and the state of the world, surely God has something on his heart and mind that he wants his children to know and to show and ways for us to grow when we go and pray from the heart of God. Think about it like this, from the mind of God. I'm learning to pray from that, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, and that's specifically to Jesus Christ, because that's the context. He's been speaking of Christ, the Son of God. If we ask in accordance with the Son's will, first we know God hears us. Now remember, remember, this is Christians. You're a non-Christian today. You don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, and you go begging God for a bunch of stuff. He's going, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't have a relationship yet. You need to pray and trust me as Lord and Savior first. I need to be your king first. Then I'll hear the other prayers. Y'all follow me on that? Anybody follow me on that? So first, they got to know Christ. But if we know Christ and we pray according to his mind, from his heart, then the Bible says he hears what we ask if it's in alignment with his heart, his will, and we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you'll receive. And so that's what he's telling us. And in Hebrews 4, we read that because Jesus is our great high priest who knows our temptations and understands our weakness, look at this, Hebrews 4, let us therefore come boldly, I love that word, boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I have never had a problem in my life uh, trying to be bold in request. I am a bold guy when it comes to some things. Now, some things I'm less certain. Of. When, when back in the day when I was doing shows and they told me I had to dance, I was not so bold, okay? I was a wimp, and I didn't know how to do that stuff, and I didn't know how to move. I mean, I was a Baptist boy to the bone, y'all. And so uh, 
I wasn't bold in that, but when it comes to the Lord, I've learned that when you have a holy boldness, there is a, a confidence that comes with that. And that's what we find. In fact, the very same Greek word used there is the same word used here that talks about having confidence. Our confidence, specifically in prayer, is a natural consequence of our assurance of eternal life. I can come to God boldly because I'm his son. And I know that I'm washed in the blood of Christ. And I know that God doesn't see any of my sin, past, present, or future, because it's been cleansed by Christ. And so I come to my Father boldly because I have a clean account. Then how can I know what God's will is? I mean, if I'm going to pray from the heart of God, that means I've got to know God's heart. How do I know God's heart? Well, sometimes the Scripture is very explicit about the heart of God. In fact, it, this tells us, but what about if I don't see it completely clearly spelled out for me? Well, first, I know what God expects of some things, right? I know what he expects of my marriage. I know what he expects of me as a dad. I, I know what he expects of me in servanthood or love or respect. But it takes spiritual maturation. It takes discernment to learn how to pray the Word of God, to pray from the heart of God. And the only way I know to do that is to abide in Him, John 15, to stay connected I know my, my wife the best because I, we spend a tremendous amount of time together. We have a relationship. We talk. We listen. Sometimes we don't have to say anything. We're just together. Sometimes it's like that with the Lord. You talk. You listen. Sometimes you don't have to say anything because you're just with him. And there's a sweet sense of his presence in your life. And so we got to abide. And of course, we know this, this well-known phrase, thy will be done. Where do we hear that? Thy will, Lord, what you want, let that be done. Don't we hear that in the model prayer? Look at it. After this manner, Jesus said, pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That, that's Jesus praying from the heart of God. That's what Jesus is doing. He said, boys, when you pray, let me show you how you're doing it. Do it this way. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest and his mockery of trials. Luke 22. He's withdrawn about a stone's throw from Peter, James, and John. He kneels down. Father, if it's your will, take this cup, the cup of wrath and judgment and shame and pain. Take it from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, thine, be done. How can we have confidence and courage? How can we remain calm, cool, and collected when everything around us seems to be crumbling down? We pray from the heart of God. God, you know what's best. Lord, this is my heart's desire, but I simply want my heart to line up with your heart. Father knows best. Prayer must not be our attempt to get God to see things from our point of view, but prayer is our opportunity and our privilege to see things from God's point of view. And when we mature and seek the will of God and we ask not what we want, but what God wants, there are some things that happen. Remember, I've told you this before, but I've given it to you today in writing. Would you write this down real quick? Sometimes the father knows best, and when we pray, he says no, right? My kids still struggle with that, but sometimes the father says no. Is no a legitimate answer? Well, then why don't you think so when you pray? <laughs> sometimes you're begging God, and he says no. Some of y'all have begged God to win the lottery before you, heathen, I know. And probably God said no. And I've been asked all my ministry, well, would you take it? Well, yeah, because money's our moral. Don't let the devil have it all, Dale. Come on, give me some. 
So if you're going to play, I'm just saying. So no, that's an answer. What about slow? Anybody ever been told slow? God said that's the right thing in the wrong time. And the right thing in the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. Don't you know that? And you ever done anything that's the right thing but in the wrong time and it became the wrong thing? And so sometimes God says, you're not ready for it, or I'm not ready to give it to you, or you need to grow. That's number three, grow. It's time to mature. It's time to get ready for that. You can't handle it all at once. So Bobby just turned 15 a few months ago. He got his permit, scares us to death. He's a pretty decent driver. He's not in the room yet. I, I might say it with him in the room. I don't want to embarrass him too. I don't really care. But anyway, so little Bobby, is, 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 uh, he's starting to drive. But I wouldn't just toss the kid the keys and say, now get out on 40 right? We've been doing a lot of donuts and backing up and parking in these parking lots here around the church. And then I did let him get on the road and drive us home to Oak Ridge. I let him get because we have the big roads between here and there. Scary. Your prayer life will go up when you're teaching your teenager to drive. And so it's scary, but he's got to grow. He's got to log a bunch of hours. They do it so fancy now. When I was in school, you just got your permit, you got your license. Now they just, you got to have all these hours and you got to have nighttime driving. His mama's going to lead him to do that. So you got all this stuff, right? But you, sometimes you, you need to just grow. And, and then sometimes God says, go, there you go. Here it is. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. But see, life, life throws curveballs, doesn't it? Sometimes it's like those Atlanta Braves pitchers who are getting the job done. Life just throws one that you don't see coming. Hillary Scott and the Scott family released uh, an album, uh, a song, and then uh, one of the um, uh, famous songs from that album about five years ago. It really touched my heart. Hillary called that her letter to God. She, you might know her from the trio Lady A, but th this, this song is, is powerful, I think. She said, this is my letter to God. In 2015, I went through some tough things and I had some hard questions. And I hold on to the truth that there's so much to the story of my life that I can't see, but Scott said, I still choose to trust him. See, Hillary Scott had had a miscarriage in the fall of 2015. And, and I know a number of you have experienced that pain. But she said, this was the most raw place that I could have been when this song poured out of me. Listen to this. I'm so confused. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through, but somehow I ended up here. I don't want to think I may never understand that my broken heart is part of your plan. And when I try to pray, all I've got is hurt and these four words, thy will be done. You remember that song? Thy will be done. It's an incredible song, incredible lyric. I know you're good, but this don't feel good right now. I know you think of things I could never think about, but it's hard to count it all joy, distracted by the noise, just trying to make sense of all your promises. Sometimes I've got to stop and remember, you're God, and I'm not. Ooh, that's a good lyric. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. What a powerful song that poured out of her pain. Like a child on my knees, all that comes to me is, thy will be done powerful. Do you know many of the greatest songs come from a place of pain? Many of the greatest works that have been done come from a place of heartache and hardship. But God's timing is perfect, and he gives us what we need when we need it. And no matter what you face, will you learn to respond like Christ? In hardship and heartache and suffering and shame, can you look to God, our loving, redeeming, sustaining creator, and say, not my will, Thine be done.
then you'll breathe confidence when you pray from the heart of God. But secondly, we can have confidence when we serve others as intercessors. Now this gets us in the weeds a little, so track with me. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which was not lead to death, he's going to ask on behalf of his brother, and he'll give him life for those who commit the sin not leading to death. Now there's a sin leading to death. I'm not telling you to pray about that. And then he says all unrighteousness is sin, but remember, there's a sin not leading to death. What in the world is this all about? I mean, what is this sin leading to death, not leading to death? Okay, let me give you some common views. You ready? The traditional Roman Catholic view is that there are two categories of sin. There's venial sin, which is pardonable, and there's mortal sin or sins, mortal sin, it leads to death. The seven deadly sins, you've heard that, according to Catholicism, are considered those which are what they say. They lead to death. Um, and then the church, through the priest, for the venial sin, says, I'll give you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you do this, and those other sins will be taken away. The big problem with that, there's no biblical support for that kind of thinking and that kind of system. Yes, there are uh, horrible sins, sins that God abhors, but God hates all sin. And so, in the Bible's view, every sin is mortal. In the Bible's view, every sin is a sin unto death, Romans 6, 23. But let me unpack what John's trying to explain to his reader here and to us. The New Testament offers further proof that there's no human work that can justify the guilty sinner. And so John's been saying over and over and over and over, Christ is the only way. He's the only hope to turn from God's wrath. So what are the Protestant or the, uh, the, the views of this sin leading to death that more people like us would, would generally affirm. Number one, maybe it's a particularly bad sin that God won't pardon. Murder. Suicide. Maybe it's something particularly grievous against a child. The Bible has no evidence for that. Maybe the sin unto death is, a, is some apostasy to deliberately repudiate the Christian faith, maybe after it looked like you embraced it, and now to turn away from it. Not biblical. There is no truth, there is no falling away from the true faith for genuine believers in the Bible. To others, the sin unto death may be blaspheming the Holy Spirit, a sin which Matthew says won't be, Jesus said in Matthew, this won't be forgiven. The problem with that is that would be to the unbeliever. John's not writing to the unbeliever. He's writing to brothers and sisters. He's saying, brothers and sisters, I'm writing this to you, and so it doesn't seem to accord with the nature of the book. But finally, some interpreters identify the sin unto death as, yes, physical death. Now listen to this. Some Christians will sin so badly or repeatedly that God will simply end their lives. They've done something or a series of something so grievous that the Lord says, that's it. Do we have any examples of that? You better believe it. Moses, his eyes were bright. He was in great health, and yet God said, nope, you're not entering the promised land. You're going to die right here on Mount Nebo. I would argue that Moses had committed the sin leading to death. Aaron, same way. Anybody heard of Ananias and Sapphira? They were part of the true church according to Acts, and yet they lied, they died, and that was it. God said, okay, if you're going to lie, I'm going to take you. And here's the thing. I believe that there are instances, in fact, what about 1 Corinthians 11.30? People were abusing the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church. And the Bible said some not only are weak and some not only are sick among you, some sleep. Some have died because I took them on. I do think there's a sin or a series of sins that can lead the Father to say, enough is enough. You're my child, but I'm going to spare you 
from any more of this, and I believe God takes them all. Now, does that mean they're lost? No, I believe they're genuinely saved, but God says enough is enough. In fact, think about it like this. I know your kids probably have never fought, but with four kids, sometimes all the Lewis siblings don't get along. And they're back and forth and back and forth and biting and devouring and saying all manner of crazy. And sometimes I'll just kind of listen and go, oh, there they go, there they go. And sometimes I go, stop. You go to your room and you go to your room. I don't want to hear another word. And I know you're shocked that I would say that because <laughs> I'm normally so calm. Have you ever done that with your kids? I have had enough. Go here. Go here. Don't you think the Heavenly Father sometimes says, that's it. I've had enough. Come on. Come on to your room. Come on. You see, I do believe there's a sin leading to death, and I believe that's what it is. You say, well, how do I know if I've committed it? Are you breathing? <laughs> you good. But, 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 you might be walking a path. Well, when will God zap me? Oh, any minute. Get ready. <laughs> well, you, you're just trying to scare me. I think it's scary. Don't presume upon God's goodness and grace, right? And so I've looked this thing up one side and down the other. Good Christian folks may have different takes, but I focus on that last truth. I do believe there's a time that Christian folks can fail so grievously or over and over that God will call them. Remember what Jesus prayed for Peter the night Peter betrayed him. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter, I'm praying for you. Don't continue down this road. I'm praying for you. You know, sometimes God's telling us you need to be an intercessor because some people, now, they're, they're praying this sin, not leading, I'll, I'll come back to the end of 16 and 17 to explain that, but, you know, intercessors are key, guys. Intercessors are important. You, you guys remember Luke 5, the faith of four men, carrying the, or four people carrying the paralytic, lowering him through the roof because they couldn't get to Jesus. You remember how important that intercession was. We just got to get this guy to Jesus. He can't walk for himself. He can't do it for himself. And you parents understand, sometimes I've got to have faith for my kid. Now, I understand personal appropriation of faith. I can't believe my children to heaven. they got to trust Jesus on their own. But sometimes your kid's wayward. Sometimes you got to stand in the gap. Sometimes you got to pray, oh, God, I pray this is what they're doing is not leading to death. And, Lord, I'm praying to bring them back. Intercession's important. Look, uh, Luke 17, they, they brought this guy. And, and I said it like this. Many times we are carrying people to Jesus by our prayers. That's what we do. We carry them to the Lord by our prayers. The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith, plural, their faith, the four people. He saw their faith, and the guy was healed. It's pretty amazing. But what about the end of verse 16 where he says, uh, there's a sin leading to death. I do not say that we should pray about that. What does that mean? The Bible doesn't forbid prayer. But what does he say? I'm well, listen, listen. If God takes someone, number one, you and I don't have the divine knowledge to judge whether it was a sin leading to death or not. So be careful. We don't have that divine knowledge. But listen, when they're dead, when God's already got them, you don't need to pray for them anymore. Their eternity's sealed. I know that won't sit well with my Mormon friends that have prayer for the dead, but you, you can't pray for dead people. Did you realize that? If they're gone, they're gone. He's saying, I'm not saying you pray about that. If there's a sin leading to death, don't pray about that because they're... Their fate is now sealed. But remember, remember again, the context of this is Christian folks. So they're with the Lord. 
They're with the Lord. And so it's a very difficult little section, but the point of the section is pray for others. You have confidence when you pray for yourself from the heart of God. Have confidence when you pray for others. Some may do stuff so bad that they're gone. You don't have to pray for them because they're gone. But for the sin not leading to death, when they're still alive and kicking, but you see a brother, a child, someone that's wayward and going away, pray for them. Stand in the gap. Carry them to Jesus by your prayers. I love what J. Vernon McGee said. J. Vernon McGee has a way with words. McGee said this, the devil, uh, I'm sorry, he said, the Lord doesn't whip the devil's children. That was good. The Lord whips his own. I thought that was great. When his children sin unto death, he'll take them home. You can go on in sin until God will remove you from the scene. That doesn't mean every Christian who dies has committed the sin unto death, but it is possible. You say, well, pastor, wait a minute now. I'm, I'm lost. I'm confused here. Listen, listen. If you know a Christian and you're breathing, you're okay right now, but don't you presume on God. Be careful. Stay close and clean. When you do, you pray from the heart of God. You serve others as intercessors. And then look at this. We have confidence when we walk with the one true God and keep ourselves from idols. You see, that's how he brings this all together. He says, look, just daily walk with the one true God and make sure you protect yourself. Keep yourself from anything that get in the way. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. That means keeps on sinning. He who's been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we're of God, but the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding that we can know him who is true. And we're in him who is true and in his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the true God, and this is eternal life. So when it says whoever's born of God does not sin, the language there in the perfect tense means sins and keeps on sinning. Lives in a habitual state of rebellion against God. True Christians don't live in a continual state of rebellion against God. God's people have to keep their eyes open, according to verse 19, because the whole world lies under the, the, the sway or lies in the lap, literally the Greek, lies in the lap of the wicked one. Our enemies blinded millions, even billions around the world to keep them in bondage. And according to John, there are two types of people in the world. He said it earlier in the book in chapter 3, there are children of the devil and there are children of God. And there aren't a third or fourth category and Jesus Christ is the true and genuine God. We've talked a lot about that. We can know that we know. But then John gives us this interesting little directive at the end. He says, oh, and by the way, folks, keep yourself from idols. Why, why does he say that at the end? Well, he's contrasting the idea of an idol with the one true God. See, these false teachers John was writing against upheld the world's philosophy as superior to God's revelation. And they were trying to leave the church and take others with them. And in the closing of the letter, John highlights the importance of staying true to the faith. Don't be led astray. God can only be known one way, through the true Christ. Only through God's Son can God really be known. Truth is one way. In Jesus. So I wrote it like this as we draw to a close. Anyone or anything that stands in opposition to or in place of the one true God is an idol. You say, well, what is an idol? Anyone or anything that takes God's place, anything that pushes Jesus out of the center of my life must be relentlessly resisted. And do you know idols can also come in the form of false teaching? Any false teaching which contradicts the perfect word of God must be rejected. 
John is saying, when he sums it all up, don't put anything in the place of Christ. Christ occupies first chair or no chair. Jesus will not hold second place in anybody's life. It just doesn't work that way, folks. It just doesn't work that way. That's why when we minister particularly to to Hindu peoples, one of the things we have to do is remind them and teach them, you're not adding Jesus to the litany of gods you already worship. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's Jesus and Jesus, first and last and everything in between, Jesus. And so this letter, and really the Bible as a whole, was given to help us understand God to understand ourselves, to help us distinguish truths from error. And we have the privilege and responsibility to learn and apply sound biblical teaching to guard our lives, to guard other people's lives, and to keep us from false gods, little g, and false teachings. As true believers, we can know with certainty that we have eternal and abundant life through Christ and Christ alone. And we can be confident, not prideful, not arrogant, not cocky, but confident. And there really is a difference. You've seen great athletes. You've seen great athletes who get cocky and they mess up. They believe their own press. They think they're this and that and they mess up. But the humble ones, the ones that stay humble and yet are confident in their position, when they get the ball or whatever it is, they're confident when they're there on the field, on the court, wherever it may be, they're confident. That's a beautiful thing to witness. That's a great thing to see. I don't know that we'll see it when Georgia visits town to play our boys over at Neyland, but it's beautiful when you see confidence, right? It's a great thing. We can have confidence when we pray from the heart of God. Thy will be done. We can have confidence when we serve others as intercessors. You say, well, how do I know to pray for them or not? If they're still living, pray for them. They're not so far from God that he can't save them. If they're still breathing, pray for them. If they've died, they're in the Lord's hands. But we serve as intercessors. And we can have confidence when we walk daily with the one true God and keep ourselves from idols. Let me close with this. Any bow hunters in the room? Bow hunters. A few of you, praise God. Bow hunters. I love you boys. It's bow season, y'all, and it's getting cold, and it's wonderful. I've let a few things walk. I haven't been much this year. But this is, I showed this to my outdoorsman's class uh, a while back. This is one of the greatest tools in my hunting pack. And you bow hunters will understand the value of this. Last year when I was privileged to take the pronghorn and then took a a big nine, I needed this device. I didn't need it as much on the nine because it was a muzzle loader. But uh, the pronghorn, this was super important because I was shooting a bow. And bow hunters know that it makes a huge difference if an animal's 20 yards or 40 yards. Bow's not like a gun. It's not going to shoot the same trajectory. So I use different sight pins. Some guys use one pin that slides up and down. But I use different sight pins. And so when I'm looking through my bow sight, I'll have multiple pins. The top one would be, let's say, 20 yards. The second would be, say, 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards. And you can go on up. But the reason that the pin is like that is because I have to shoot higher. So I'm looking at this, and then I have to shoot higher when he's further out, and even higher when he's further out. Otherwise, I will either completely miss or I will wound an animal, the worst thing for any hunter. And so you bow hunters, what am I holding? You know what I've got? Yeah, a range finder. And maybe, well, I guess golfers, but now nah, I'm not going to talk about y'all. Golfers might use these too, but range finder. 
right? When I look through this device and press it, in fact, I have no idea, so I'll just do it for kicks. Okay, so yeah, I could definitely take out our camera guy right there in the middle. That'd be a clean shot. Oh yeah, you're perfect. You're 31 yards. Oh yeah, I could drill you right there. Um, <laughs> so right there, 30 yards, that's a cakewalk shot. So we could, we could put one right through the lens of the camera. Hello. But the reason I know that, now I would have honestly thought that was probably closer to 40. But because we have this wide worship center, it's really not that far back. So 30 yards, so 90-ish feet, a little over 90 feet. That's super important for me to know. When I get in the stand or when I'm stalking on the ground, I'm constantly marking trees, bushes, leaves. I want to know where anything comes in because sometimes I have time to actually put this up to an animal and sometimes I don't. But just like last year when I killed the pronghorn, I knew where the yucca bushes were. I knew at about 32 to 35 yards, there's a little dip, and if he came out, he's going to come out there. So about a little further back than this, yeah, about right here was that bow shot. And so here's the thing. When I use this, I can guess, but I'm not always good at it especially when you're up high in a tree. It changes your angles, your trajectories. In fact, this loophole that I use changes for the angle to account for gravity. This gives me confidence. If I've practiced, if I've kept my bow skill up, when I look through this, I have confidence. Because every time I push the button, yeah, you guys are 32 over there, and um, every time I push this button, yeah, it's 30 all the way. That's pretty cool. All right. So every time I push this button, I'm going to get a reading. And I know this laser rangefinder is accurate. Well, folks, you don't have to be a bow hunter. But if you're ever going to have confidence, God has given us something through which we look at this world. If we learn to look at people and at situations and our lives through the lens of Scripture, and specifically through who Jesus Christ is, we have this great confidence because there's so much uncertainty, and I may mess up, and I may miss out, and I may cause more damage, but if I'll constantly be looking through the lens of the Word and Christ, then it builds my confidence, and I know that I know that I know that this situation might be terrible, and it may look awful, but I'm seeing through the lens of Christ and the Word, and I know that God is going to somehow take this horrible thing, and He's going to bring beauty from ashes and strength from tears. And you say, how do you know that? Because I know 2,000 years ago the devil and all of his slimy cohorts thought they won. It looked like Jesus had been defeated, but they didn't know that God had made a promise that death itself could not hold him down. And so three days after they crucified him, by the power of God he raised him to new life and he said, trust what I have told you. If you will walk with Jesus, then when it's your time to go to the grave, you're not really staying there either. I've promised a place for you, and if you'll believe in the name of the Son of God, you can know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. What do I want for you? I want for you what I want for my family. I want us to have confidence in Christ. Stand with me this morning. Don't anybody come up and take my rangefinder either. Okay. Listen, you got to look at life through the right lens. 
If you look at life through this crazy lens of cultural sensitivity, man, that lens changes every other day. What was right and good yesterday is not right and good. And words and philosophies and things change so rapidly. I am so thankful that the Word of God and the God of the Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't build my life on shifting sand. I build on the rock. That's why my next five weeks, I'm starting a brand new series from Romans 3. We're just going to spend five weeks in Romans. It's called Divine Plumbline. Some of y'all know what a plumb line is. I'm going to talk about divine plumb line. How do I know that I know that I know that my life is in alignment, that it is aligned with what God wants for me? How do I know that? Divine plumb line starting next week. So, do you have confidence? Do you? Do you know that you know that you know? Some of you say, man, absolutely. I know heaven is my home. I know Jesus is my Savior. I believe he's the only way, and you are confident this morning. Praise God for you. You should thank God for your salvation. Some of you are a little on the fence. Isn't that a scary place to live? Why don't you come? We'll be ready to talk to you up here. You can just come and pray. Miss Cindy and I will be over here in a few minutes. You can come see us. We'll have pastors and counselors ready to show you how you can know that you know. Like Alex, my buddy, just got to nail it down. Let me nail it down. In consequential of church membership, baptismal status, if you need to nail it down, today's the day. Some of you need to come and maybe put something before the Lord. Maybe a, an intercessory prayer. An intercessor is one who stands in the gap for another. You need to stand in the gap today. Some of you might want to come and pray for any number of other things. The altar will be open. As I say amen, you come. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the confidence we have in the risen Christ. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for coming, for making a way, not just being the perfect example, but for being the pure sacrifice, the one and the only one who could pay the price for our sin, past, present, and future. We have confidence in you. We come boldly to your throne today because you and you alone are worthy. And we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for sustaining us. And we thank you for one day calling us home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.